When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Have you ever heard of the Shawshank Paradox? Well, probably not, because we created the concept right here on this episode. To describe you hard workers out there and high-level execs and partners and entrepreneurs who are working so hard you think you'll just save, save, save all you need and then take a break. Well, that strategy might fall into the Shawshank Paradox we're about to explain as we talk with Roger Whitney, who started the Rock Retirement Club and Retirement Answer Man podcast on today's episode. I'm Wes Moss. The prevailing thought in America is that you'll never have enough money and it's almost impossible to retire early. Actually, I think the opposite is true. For more than 20 years, I've been researching, studying, and advising American families, including those who started late, on how to retire sooner and happier. So my mission with the Retire Sooner podcast is to help a million people retire earlier while enjoying the adventure along the way. I'd love for you to be one of them. Let's get started. Roger Whitney, welcome to the Retire Sooner podcast. Hey, oh, excited to be here. Yeah, if if you're not if our audience isn't seeing seeing this obviously and just listening to the podcast, the the video version is very cool. Roger has such a cool. You've got like the coolest office. It makes me want to sit down with a glass of bourbon and hang out and talk about money and finances. The, I've done the, that. Wood, I think I've wood, done that. The wood paneling in the back. Uh, but listen, we've been in a similar or say, I, really this kind of this a similar business for many many years call it a couple decades plus. And we've both written a lot about retirement and happiness in retirement. And I think in, in your words, regret minimalization, which is where I wanted to start today, because I, I know that you've talked about the five regrets. And when we're, we're talking about money, we're always trying to balance between living for today and living for tomorrow. And it's just, it's a constant effort, if you will, to, to figure that out because we all feel like, hey, we work, we really, if, even if you love working, if you, you, you may feel as though, gosh, I'm working so hard, I'm not doing anything fun. And then when you're doing too much fun, you're thinking maybe I could be working more. So it's it's constant kind of internal battle, but maybe we start with what you you refer to, and I know this is a book by Ronnie Ware, but the five regrets that people have at the end of life. And, and, and how do you, what, what are those? First of all, let's start there. So number one is, and these are from Bronnie Ware, which is a, a book. She was a hospice nurse that in Australia, and she wrote a book uh, a number of years ago from her observations from talking to people at the end of life. Um, and which I think is a great perspective. One, one challenging question I have for myself is what would my 80-year-old self tell me when I'm grappling with a decision, right? And so the top five regrets that she identified, which I think are really on point for retirement is, I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life that others expected of me. 
Oh, okay. So that's that okay. That, so that's, that's a deep that's, one. There's yeah, that's a lot of a places we can go there. Number two <laughs> okay. is I wish I hadn't worked so hard. Mm. Number three is I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. Number four is I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. And number five wow. is I wish I would let myself be happier. Hmm. Number five, let yourself. A lot of head trash going on in everybody's head. I know there is in mine that I got to get over myself. Yeah, that's part of it. But those are all pretty deep. And there's a lot of that that has to do with courage. And, you know, this thought of the courage to, the courage to express, the courage to, you know, do is the life that I want to live versus what I'm supposed to be doing. And then as simple as, I think number, I love number four, as simple as stay in touch, to stay in touch better. So, and I always think as people are listening to these podcasts, what are they going to get out of it? And, and often as I've done money interviews and radio shows for 25 years, I always wonder, am I really ever giving any brand new groundbreaking advice? And I always feel like the answer is, ah, I don't know. Sometimes, sometimes it is brand new, but I think we're also here to remind each other of what we, we should know, or maybe we do know, but we just, it's not top of mind. Well, in, in, in retirement planning, and, and this goes right to the premise of your book, and I think of my book, and what both of us have talked about, and I'm surprised we've not met before, is so much of financial or retirement planning, and the way the numbers work, and I know we may get into that, is a big cause of of a potentially a big cause of creating these regrets through going through a, a retirement planning process because it doesn't take these type of things into account. So when you do planning or maybe what you've learned about this is, do you talk through this at all? Do you, do you help set these life goals? Do you ever get into these five issues with families or is this something you do more on, on the podcast on, on retirement answer man podcast? Uh, both. So I, in, in individual situations, I've used these questions and reminded people in setting what their, their expectations are for the future. We use these things to remind someone. I can totally give you some examples if you'd like. Yeah, let's, let's get some examples of this. Okay, so it, let's think of a, a simple one, um, a recent one. And this is about, I guess, about six, seven months ago. And I just talked to this person the other day. So they had just retired. And we had put together a plan that created, you know, their current version of their ideal retirement that balances having an amazing life today and still being okay when we're 80 or 90, right? And you hit on that. In my mind, Wes, I, I envision that as a teeter-totter, right? You remember teeter-totters? Yeah. And you're standing on the middle of them. Those, those two things, having an amazing life today and still being okay later on, they're opposed to each other. So you essentially we're standing on a teeter-totter and trying to make decisions that balance those two interests. And so this client came to me totally out of the blue and said, we want to buy a lake house. And I was okay. like, what? What are you talking about? We've never talked about a lake house. And so the process with them was using some of these tools. Well, okay, why do you really want a lake house? You know, so we flushed out why they really want a lake house. And it was... They have local children. They have local grandchildren between three and seven. Um, they wanted to create memories and have a place for everybody to gather. And then we brainstormed, well, how could we do this? Couldn't we just rent a lake house 
you know, every year. I mean, I rent a house in Colorado once a month every year. So do we have to actually buy it? And so we went through that. And then what we did was, so we got to the point where, yeah, they really wanted it. So then we put a price on it. And when we ran the calculations, the long-term feasibility study of, could you really do this? It took a very solid plan to a, yeah, it should work plan. Okay. <laughs> um, because the normal way you plan that way is we assume if, say, we buy a lake house that we just own the lake house forever and now we have two households, right? Mm -hmm. And so talking with them, we were talking about some of their other goals, which was giving to children. And essentially, we started to view this lake house as this is part of giving to children. We're just going to do it in our lifetime. And this is a financial asset that becomes a use asset that we likely will not have two households forever. So we tweak the plan to have what two households for a period of time during this sweet spot when the grandchildren were young and still wanting to be a grandma and grandpa and everything else. And then made the assumption down the road that we're going to end up selling one of these lake houses, re recapture that financial capital back into the plan and have it be part of the giving plan. And all of a sudden the numbers are like, oh yeah, this should work. No problem. And this is always a tough conversation. So I'm really glad you use this as an example because it is something that people have this massive draw to. It really sounds appealing to have a house on the lake or have a house on the coast or have a house in the mountains. It just sounds really appealing, but then it's really expensive, right? It's a really, really giant expenditure. So it's it's one of the tougher decisions because it's a tough teeter-totter, right? And it's it's the perfect example of trying to live for today versus is save for the future. But to your point, Roger, it takes a little bit of planning can go a long way within a conversation of saying, well, wait a minute, we're not just spending. And I don't know what the number is, whether it's $500,000 or a million dollars. I mean, depending on where you, where you are in America, it could be more than that. It, it isn't that we're just spending the money today and it's never coming back, right? To your point, it might very well be like, we're going to have this for 10 years or in 10 years, we're going to just move there full time and we're going to sell our primary home. And in that period of time, the kids are 10 years old and they're going to use it till they're 20. And then maybe at that point, uh, it is, is become a wonderful decision. And for you to figure out the mechanics of that, I, I love the thought of you being able to talk that through. It's a common question and a hard one to answer. And it plays into some of Bronnie Ware's wisdom on regrets is if you talk, you know, for this particular couple, most people value creating experiences with their family rather than giving money at the end. In this case, they had children. They were planning on giving money at the end. But we talk through the spending as part of that, and it's going to give them something more than giving money. It's going to allow facilitate creating experiences or memories for the children and the grandchildren. And, and people really want that. They just don't know how to navigate it and still be prudent. So in my mind, almost all retirement planning decisions, there is no black and white answer. The key is to have some framework so you can think about it in an organized way and then get to your decision because there's never, rarely is there a black and white answer. And I think in most financial planning, Wes, and I'd be interested in your thoughts on this, is I call myself a classically trained financial planner. And classically trained. Yeah, what do you mean by that? What's, yeah, what do you mean by that? 
Well, classic classic financial planning is solving for the numbers. Mm-hmm. You know, you map out how, what spending is going to be. You identify what current earnings and or what current savings you have, and you find the gap, and then you fill the gap either through taking more investment risk, saving more, working longer, or spending less money in retirement or some combination of those things. That's what I learned. Those are some of the big levers. Yeah, exactly. Right. And, and because we come from the financial world and the CFP curriculum came from financial people, it becomes that one dimensional planning, which is the classical planning, which really gives people four really sucky solutions to (laughs) trying to create a great life. And, and, and this is, I think this kind of conversations where you're, melding in the human, I don't, I don't want to say personal coaching part of it, but decision-making partner beyond the numbers, that's when you can really create really amazing retirements and outcomes. The, yeah, the human element of financial planning and goal setting, and it's funny, I'm always studying the happy retiree, right? It's like, what are they, what's the happy retiree doing in the wild? And <laughs> one, one, I've done so many different research studies on this. One, one question that came back, I wanted to know, are retirees in general, um, are they happier if they have a mountain house, a lake house, a beach house, uh, or other, some, someplace else? And the answer that came back was what? You're asking me? Yeah, I'm asking you. <laughs> I would think it didn't matter. Exactly right. Exactly right. It didn't matter. I was thinking maybe, and I, I don't know what this was, but as we brainstormed these questions, I remember thinking or somebody thinking, oh, I bet you it's the people that are down at the beach. I bet you that's even, that's even better. And then in mountains, you're, and the reality here is it doesn't matter. It, it, what matters is that you have this other place, that you have these experiences, and I think it's gotten easier over the years to, particularly now in a kind of a post-COVID world, what COVID has taught us is that even the really, really hard worker that felt like they can't, they always have to be in the office and be around can maybe now have, have, a more, have more flexibility in working from anywhere as long as there's internet at, at the lake. Now, I'll ask you this. This is not overly uncommon, and this kind of goes back to some of these regrets, which again, these are the human elements layered with the classically trained CFP and the numbers that that you speak of, which I'm the same way. I would say classically trained CFP, certified financial planner. Let's solve for the goals. Let's solve for what we, uh, the spending, right? But as we layer in, well, what are we foregoing for this 10-year period when we could be going up to the lake every weekend? Or maybe it's only... 10 weekends a year. But what does that mean? Well, it could be a huge part of our life now. But I go back to the question of the really, really hard worker. And this is fresh in my mind because I, I just hit up a, a plan with, a, it, I would say it's not overly unique, but the way this has worked out for this individual is just to almost, and, and maybe I'm fresh off an Elon Musk article that said that there was a point in time where Elon Musk was working 100 hours a week. And this particular, this, this client of mine, family that I've worked with, he's just a super hard worker and oh, like 80 hours a week, right? Oh, and 80 hours a week, people, when people say 80 hours a week, I don't know if they really understand exactly what 80 hours really is. And then to do that over and over and over and over again, it's unhealthy, right? I mean, that, that much work is almost unhealthy. You, and you put that in with travel and you're going back and forth to Texas every single week or you're flying to Philadelphia from Atlanta every single week. How long can you do that? So 
how often do you see somebody who's not teeter-tottering, Roger, when they're all on the, hey, I'm just going to really work my ass off and I'm going to grind this thing out because I'm saving 400 grand a year, but I'm going to retire at 50 and then I'm going to really slow down. Then I'm going to do all the stuff I want to do. And, and I see people doing that. Now, I, do you see people approach it like that? Yeah, I have two thoughts on that, or two comments. The first is, that was my mom. Mm. And so I tell the story in my book of my mom, and maybe this is why I do retirement planning the way that I do, but she was that person. She you know, graduated, she was a single mother with two children, so she had to work her butt off for that. And then she went to law school at age 40, and I can remember her, she had to uh, commute into Detroit from Ann Arbor every day. I barely saw her. So I was a latchkey kid. And she and I used to have these active discussions and her about her life because she was just killing herself. And I was always live for today because I was young. And that's what a 19 year old says. And she was like, no, I'm going to do all this stuff. And then when I get to this age, I'm going to enjoy my life. Um, and then right when I graduated college and moved down to Texas, uh, she passed away from cancer. So that I think imprinted on me a little bit. So she bit. was young. So you, this is yeah, right. 48 years old. Holy. That's 48 awful. years old. So that, I think that perspective, I get a lot. Um, the other thing on working really hard, I think the problem, part of the problem is one is the classical idea of going back to classical, classic idea of retirement is that you do that. You work and save, work and save, work and save, and then you can be on the brochures of retirement, you know, retirement uh, products and on the beach. And we tend to think of retirement as a light switch, right? It's either on or off. When, and I think your book points this out really well, it's really like a dimmer switch. There's a lot of in between where you can gain more of your life and what I have found with the kind of example you gave of that person is I'll have a lot of people, they're telling me they want to retire and then we'll go through the planning and get the feasibility study study and show that it's okay. And I'm going to grab one of these because I bought these last week, Wes. Uh, people that are listening on the show can't see it, but this is a straw man. And <laughs> I bought these last week because as I was in, having As this in a of, straw man argument or? <laughs> exactly. Because I would- yeah. We, they would tell me this is exactly what I want to do, and then we lay out how to do it. But 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 I can't because I'm doing this big project. Or they'd hold up, then I'd knock that straw man down, or at least put the mirror to them, and then they would just continually hold up straw man. And what I think happens with people that are institutionalized in such a hard work environment, especially in corporate or entrepreneurial, is. They want to get away and gain life freedom, but the problem is they're institutionalized. They gain so much of their self-worth and freedom and admiration from their income that they think they want to be on the outside, but they're really, really comfortable in a world that they know. You know another another uh, v- visual that comes to mind, Wes, is you remember the movie Shawshank Redemption. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one, one gentleman that was released, he thought he wanted to be on the outside and he actually committed suicide. You know, people want, they are comfortable and they've been doing the same thing for decades. And when we get to this idea of retirement, they like the idea of some time freedom, but then it's so foreign to them. They don't know how to navigate the in-between. It's kind of the Shawshank paradox where you, yeah. you, you think you think you want to get out, but 
there's probably an interim stage that you have to go through in order to really get out. And, yeah, and you and, and you can create that vision. You know, the traditional way, especially with really hard workers, is this is how my wife retired. She called me up one day, honey. I can't take this anymore. Can I quit? Are you cool with that? Right. Mm-hmm. She she had the pain had gotten to the point where no mas. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people move towards retirement trying to run away from the pain and and take it away. And what they fail to do is create any kind of compelling vision for their life. And sometimes they have to they have to catch up or flounder. And I think from a planning perspective, if you can slowly start to build a compa- uh, compelling vision of what this next site stage of life is going to be, much better to be pulled to something you're attracted to than running away from something that you know you're you're tired of. And I think y- your your book does that really well. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's one of the things I write about in the newer book is that's coming out this fall is this thought of the retirement gray zone. And I think that the answer, as we talk this through, there are so many, particularly when you're in the investment business and the financial planning business, you're dealing with productive, really productive human beings, right? These are people that make a lot of money. They save a lot of money. They know how to invest money. They see the importance of it. They're goal-oriented a lot of times, and they are... They're quintessential hard workers, right? I mean, I don't know. Very few clients I have have just kind of floated through. Oh, yeah. Oh, I ended up with a couple million bucks. It's like a really well-trained hunting dog that <laughs> – what, what happens if they don't have anything to hunt? Right. <laughs> they, it's like they go they go b- berserk. They get destructive, yeah. Yeah, it may just be this, the, the, this retirement gray zone is not so much about – Hey, I don't. I, I can downshift work, and it still makes my financial plan work, and I don't have to pull from my money yet. But I don't need to save anymore, so I can go from making two hundred down to fifty, and it's still okay, or a million down to a hundred, and it's still okay for five years. But beyond just the classic dollars and cents of it, it might be that as we talk this through, it may be the solution to actually get you through the Shawshank paradox. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a huge part of it. I don't think I've written a bunch about that, but I think to, now that we talk this through, that might be the other huge benefit of the, the gray zone is to land the plane. It's really landing the plane. And what, what, that, what that brings into the mix, I think, Wes, and this is something for people to consider, because these high-powered people, one is you tell them to say, if you just tell them, create a compelling vision for where you want to go, they're like, I don't have any time for that. I know I don't. I'm working, right? I'm managing a team or projects. And the other thing is, when you retire cold turkey like the light switch, you lose your superpower. Mm -hmm. Your superpower, for every adult, I think it's not said openly, is your ability to earn an income. From the moment you started school, you earned an income through grades and affirmation and everything else, and then you get into the workforce, and then what? Do you remember the first dollar you earned, Wes? 
Do That's I? powerful. I can go spend this on baseball cards, and my mom yeah. can't say anything. Yeah, it's I bought a, a mountain bike. I bought a mountain bike. Oh, I remember good. that. I'm now a, that you, I'm nobody's a biker, right? that nobody has ever asked me that, but I remember I bought a. I still remember it to this day. I think I was like twelve, and I bought nice. a Raleigh Chill. That literally was named Chill because it was white with blue letters. So that was like it was the like the polar uh, mountain bike. <laughs> You know, moniker. And I actually uh, yeah, have I mean, a, a, a white mountain bike right now. Totally white weighted out. What kind is it? Uh it is a um it's a Yeti. Ooh, wait, wait. As in like the, the Yeti, as in like the the cool well, different company. Yeah. Oh, they, different, this this, company. this pre this uh was around before the Yeti coolers. But uh, Oh, okay, cool, cool. But uh um, yeah, but that is that why, money is that why you, by the way, is that why you go to Colorado? Do you mountain bike in Colorado? Is that I mountain bike anywhere I can, yes. Yeah, that's cool. So that's cool. It's one of my happy, happy places. But that income is agency. So even you know, even anybody when they retire cold turkey, they lose their superpower, which is earning income to get the things that they want or to bail them out of mistakes that they made. And when you retire cold turkey, and I think this to your point, Wes, think of how scary that is. I have zero income. What I have is what I have. Now you expect me to, one, kill my superpower and take away all my, you know, my control over my destiny as much as we think we have control. And then two, stop saving because we got a lot of affirmation and and excitement about saving. And then three, what? I'm supposed to start spending now? So I think this segue, this turning down the dial of gaining more time freedom so you can explore what who you are, and then two, still feeling like even if you go from say a million dollars to fifty thousand dollars, internally what you feel is one, you got your fifty grand, but two, oh man, if things go sideways, I can just ramp it back up. I'm not atrophied, mm-hmm. and I think I think there is a lot more to that than just simply the dollar and cents. Gosh, I love that the the the, the Shawshank paradox and the gray zone. The uh, and the, here's the other thing when 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 you're really really uh, let's say you're a, a emphatic worker, if you will, and you're a super hard worker. Again, probably like a lot of people listening. Uh, it's easy if you're working so hard, then you're not taking time for yourself and you're wrapped up in, in your job. Then number four on that regrets list, which is I wish I had been more in touch with friends. It, it's yet another thing. It's like, well, I, I you know, it's it's a lot of time to go do this and it's a commitment to go on a trip or a commitment to go play golf for five hours or six hours. It's a commitment to do all these other things. So it's actually easy for the busy entrepreneur to allow the socialization and the close connections, which I know is a hugely powerful piece of the retirement happiness equation. It's easy to let that slip too. Yeah. And then your work, any of your colleagues become your social network. And then when you quit work, what have you lost? Yeah, that social network. network too. Yeah, right. I'll use myself, and I bet you, I, I'd be interested if you've had this experience, Wes, because I'm a busy entrepreneur. I got my hands in a lot of different things, and I'm having a blast. And I have my best friends, other than my coworkers, and and but we're remote. And then members of some close knit study groups that I one one I founded, and you know, some I'm a member of. And none of those people live in the same state as me. Mm-hmm. Um, I had this advisor reach out to me 
because of my podcast and and we're actually having I just scheduled it this morning. We're having lunch or excuse me, coffee on Saturday morning. And I hate getting up early on Saturday morning, but I'm like, he seems like a nice guy. I'm going to go have coffee with this guy. I'm going to try. You have to be intentional about it, even though I'd rather be in bed. Yeah. <laughs> well, what about, um, so, so speaking of firms, you were at a big firm early on, just like I was. We were both at, you were at UBS, I think, at one point. I was, yeah, that's yeah. my very, very early days in the financial business. What is the difference for you now that you have your own firm? And are you guys a, a registered, are you an RIA? Yes. Yes. So you're registered investment advisory firm, fee only. How different is that to this day versus the big, big firm? UBS is the Merrill Lynch's of the world. That's a big question. So from a consumer standpoint, I think the differences from a practice standpoint is one, obviously, I'm a lot older and God willing, a lot wiser. And when you're in a large firm, and this is just my own experience, it's very structured. At the end of it, if you really look down to business, advisory advisors at large firms are essentially distribution for the major firm. That doesn't have to be a bad thing. So I'm not necessarily suggesting that it's a bad thing, but there are boundaries in what you're allowed to advise on and how you can advise on those things. So as an example, you know, I deal with retirement planning like U.S. One of the biggest levers you have in retirement planning is cash flow and tax planning. If you're at a major firm, you're not allowed to create five-year income, income estimates and do tax estimates. You're not allowed to do that because it doesn't fit within the boundaries from a compliance standpoint uh, and it's too much to manage. And, and so that's number one. And number two, I think when we when we founded our firm in 2003, and then I had one little transition a few years ago, it allowed me to develop our process that was, I don't know if it would be called neoclassical or the new version of retirement planning, which made sense to me, which is much more around project management and organized thinking. It allowed me to express that. I started the podcast, Retirement Answer Man, seven years ago, mainly for me to think out loud to myself, and that allowed me to evolve how I have. I wouldn't have been able to do any of that in a major firm. Exactly. And, and that's, that's I think, one of the many impetuses for me to, to get go into the RIA world and go out independent. I guess our industry calls it the independent world versus the wirehouse world. And I'm glad I did it when I got, a, I got my first, let's call it 10 years at, a, at the big firms and then 15 years about now. Uh, in the in the RIA world, which I I think that to your point, there's I I I still appreciate the bigger firms. But you're right, there's a little bit less ob- objectivity when you're a big firm because they're always saying, "Hey, it would be great if you guys use this. It'd be great if you do this. It'd be great if you." This is a, an initiative for us, and it and it very often goes back to a product. And when you're in the fee only world where we are, you, there is no particular, nobody gets paid from a product. So you don't, there's no particular product that reduces or can reduce your objectivity. Yeah, there are still potentially conflicts, but you know, the goal of any, any prudent advisor is to try to, you know, minimize potential conflicts as much as possible and disclose what you can't really minimize. So it's, and it's just much easier in the, in our world. 
I would call this the magic number question. This goes back <laughs> to your thought around being a classical financial advisor, classical CFP versus now probably now I would call you maybe neoclassical or a new way to layer in life experiences and the human elements to financial planning. But people still ask me that, by the way. Hey, what's hey, what's the number I need to get to? And sometimes you, in the end, you, you still need to get somebody that number for them to get clarity around it. Do you, do you see that still as wrong thinking or do people still ask you that? Oh, definitely. And, uh, and, and well, the, you know, the 4% rule is a derivative of that question. Right. right, which I, I'm a huge, huge believer in that role, by the way. I call it the 4%, 4% plus role, but go ahead. <laughs> so the 4% role comes from how much do you need to have so you can figure out how much you can sustain as a four, uh, as, at a 4% withdrawal rate, adjusted for inflation, blah, blah, blah. Um, rules of thumb do have some utility at very, the very beginning of a process, right? My personal belief is that Looking for a number and focusing on a number that you have to have is going to be very simplistic and is probably going to cause you to die with much more money than you wanted to because (laughs) (laughs) it's focused on the sustainability of a linear type of income adjusted for inflation. And it's assuming you're going to spend the same amount of money at age 60, 65 that you're going to spend at 80, 85. And people don't actually spend that way. So it's likely going to lead, cause you to have some of the five regrets that we listed. And I think that means it's very dangerous. I really do. Yeah, I, I, I can see where you're coming from there because it does kind of lead back to this. It can lead back to some of these regrets. It can lead to working maybe too hard and not getting the teeter-totter right. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. You've been advising people for many years, your podcast for the last seven are there any big myths that people still carry when it comes to planning and investing? I think the, the biggest myth, and I think this is something that you and I grapple with, is the biggest myth that, that your retirement plan can be figured out. And it really can't because we're dealing with a very dynamic, fluid 20, 30, 40 year time frame where we can't predict inflation, returns, life shocks, what you're going to want in life, all of those things we can create base estimates, but ultimately you're going to have to iterate yourself and figure it out as you go along. Um, and a lot, you know, I understand the want for some certainty because it's a scary time of life, but that's probably the biggest myth. And that's one reason why. On my journey, I took a lot of agile project management methodology and applied it to financial planning because I think that's a much healthier way to do it. Well, and I um, want to say, so you have these four steps to agile. When I think of agile, I think of you know software deployment, if you will, and uh, as opposed to, I guess, waterfall software. Right. Deployment. That's exactly the yeah the difference. W- what about so you've applied that to the financial planning business? Tell, tell me how agile works in financial planning. I love that. 
Well, some you know some of the base assumptions in agile are one, you got to accept uncertainty, collaboration, creativity, and iteration. Those are just some of the, the the things that go into an agile project, and that's exactly where I took it from. And so, for those of you that don't know agile methodology, this is a project management methodology, and probably the best explanation to give to you is the way software was uh, created initially was what was called waterfall, which I call classic financial planning, which is let's figure it all out at once and put it into this big document. And that's why, you know, 20 years ago, you had to download your Microsoft Office with 30 disks and you had to sit there all night and you couldn't get rid of the pay-per-click because they can't update it very quickly. And so over the last 20 years, almost every industry, but software in particular, has switched to something called Agile, which is get a minimal effective product out focused on the key thing and then just keep iterating and that's why on your phone when you every time you open your phone you have to update all these apps because that's from agile they just keep making little tweaks um so when we set up an agile project at least in our firm we go through three phases one is what's feasible right because we need to know that you know so we have to go through some of these conversations wes of what kind of life do you want and help them think with fresh eyes because the, the slate's a little bit clean. What do you want? And try to put that to cash flows. And then what resources do you have to fund that dream, that ideal retirement? And then we have to iterate on, and you, I think you mentioned this earlier, was there, everything's a trade-off. So if you have all these dreams of, I wanna give this much money to the kids, I wanna buy the lake house, I need this for healthcare and everything else. And then you have resources that you, you know, in how much investment risk you're going to take, do you work part-time? Everything is a trade-off. So in the feasibility stage, we try to get to a feasible iteration of a plan that is feasible and focused on the things that people care about most. So everyone's going to be different. And now we know we're headed, say, towards a safe direction and not towards a cliff. The next stage of the project is sustainability or resilience. Okay, if this is feasible, let's say we chart a course on a boat to go from Miami to Nassau. All right, great. That We know we can get there. We got enough fuel. We got all the things that we need, and this is the trip we want to be on. Well, now we got to make sure it's sustainable so we don't run out of gas. We don't get blown too, off too far by outside forces, market shocks, inflation, all those other things. So it's a lot of cash flow planning to say, okay, I feel comfortable that it's going to take a lot to actually knock us off this course. And then the optionality is all the bling of financial planning, right? That's Roth conversions. That's, you know, you know, sequence of taking money out of uh, IRAs or gifting all the things that we normally read articles about, or I call the bling of financial planning. And those things <laughs> should come at the end of the process, not at the beginning. But the problem is they're so fun to talk about that we end up focusing on the bling more than the big rocks, the things. Do I have a boat that can get me there? Do I have enough fuel to get me there? Do I have radar so I don't get thrown off course? All those things that are a lot less sexy. Financial bling. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah, there's a lot <laughs> of true. it. Tell me about the Rock Retirement Club. You have a map on your website of folks. It's very cool, uh, kind of visual. What? Tell me about that just a little bit. So that the Rock Retirement Club is coming up on its three-year anniversary, uh, and it was started as an experiment from our podcast because we've had the Rock Retirement Answer Man podcast for seven plus years, and 
there's a bit, and I'd be interested in your thought on this too, Wes. What I see is a huge gap in our industry to serve people that want to create a great retirement. On one end, you have work directly with an advisor or financial planner, and that can generally, one, you're going to have to turn over project manager to that person typically, and it's going to cost a lot more than doing it on your own because you got to pay the person and they got to earn their fees and everything else. And so so there's that realm, and plus you don't know how to be a good client. And then all the way on the other side, we have the Wild West of just Twitter and financial blogs and everything else. And every piece of retirement education for, that I've discovered, for the most part, is it's always leading you to some, some service that you purchase, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? Whether it's a blog post and you sign your email, now you're on an email list, or whether you purchase, you, know, you go to the chicken dinner to get educated, and then they want to have an appointment with you or after. So what we, we saw sell this big gap annuity. of- yeah, yeah, Sell you yeah. the annuity, yeah. And so <laughs> there's no place for people to go to get- what I would say is world-class education on how to actually build your retirement plan. We have a course that, with tools that allow you to do that step-by-step to give you a safe place to ask questions when you get stuck from people that know what they're talking about without any upsell of any sort. And then lastly, to have a community of people in the same stage of life with the same spirit to crowdsource how do we how do we rock retirement together so we have just about 600 people in there we have live meetups every week where we're talking about different subjects and uh, when if you're looking to live the rv life there are plenty of members that are already doing that you can connect with and ask them how do i do this so how much of, of that group then so on a typical rock retirement club how much are you guys talking about is it kind of tips around on how to do things more efficiently? Is it, hey, I want to I want to go do RVing. Can we talk to somebody that does that? Or hey, I'm thinking about starting to be buying a sailboat. Is it a lot around the cost of of these core pursuits, maybe, or is it about the market? Ever? It's like, hey, what's going on in the market and the economy? Which rarely which... is it market focused. Okay, it's all about creating a great life and and feeling confident you can do it. So the course is all built off of the, the agile framework with the, the stages that I talked about. So that give it, get, gives everybody a framework to make better decisions. So I did a, I'll give you two examples. I did a, a meetup about two weeks ago where all I did for an hour is create a framework for how to navigate determining whether you should consider Roth conversions. And then we had about 80 people on live with us and people would ask questions or share their experience. And then in the same week, we had one of my coaches spend an hour talking about how to develop confidence that you can leave work. So it runs the gamut from the financial to the very non-financial end of it. And the goal is to help people rock retirement. That's interesting. So somebody to give the confidence to stop working. Is it was a psychologist or what was that? That's interesting. Uh, it was, a, it was a, a personal coach who has a lot of experience, who retired from a full-time career himself. And he was facilitating more than anything else of helping people navigate and identifying what might be holding them up and what they might be going to. So a lot of this is open conversations that are respectful with really intelligent people. Um, and a lot of times we, you know, we're stuck in our own, our own Coke bottle, Right. When you're planning for yourself on your own, you don't have perspective. 
in your own life. And it's so true. It's so true. So by hearing from, you know, five, 10, however many people that are similar to you in the stage stage of life, you can say, oh, if they can do it, I can do it. And you can ask them questions to help give you perspective. So it's all about making lots of little better decisions through. And it's hard to find that on the Internet without it being a safe place where you don't feel like you're going to get trolled or sold or something. Safe community advice and community wisdom is what that sounds like to me, which I love that idea. How about this? The, um, this goes back to the, uh, the teeter-totter, if you will, which is this today versus tomorrow. And, and you have a story about, the, about Europe, of someone who was about to go to Europe. Can you tell us that story? Yeah, uh, this is one of my favorite stories over the last two years of an interaction with a member of the club. So the club is an advice-free zone. So there I am not a financial advisor. I'm a coach and an educator. So I was having a private conversation with this member. And she was explaining to me, you know, we're just talking about life and everything else. And she's telling me how she always wants to go to Europe. And, and then she's, you know, I've always, you know, she, I think she was a doctor and she always wanted to go to Europe. And then in the next breath, she starts talking about her mom in this degenerative eye disease that her mom had, and her mom's blind now, uh, and it might be genetic. And oh, by the way, my sister, who's younger than me, in the next breath, she's going to the doctor because she's starting to see some signs of this degeneration. And to preface this, it it was already assumed and, and clear that she was financially fine for retirement. So she was. Not, so this is what? How old? She's about sixty years old. Okay. So she's recently retired, financially sound. I've always wanted to go to Europe. I'm going to go probably in five or six years. Oh, by the way, my mom's blind. My sister is starting to see signs, and I don't know if it's going to hit me or not. And so, I say, Why the heck aren't you going to Europe right now? And I repeat back and frame it for what she had told me. And this light bulb went off and she's like, like she had never even thought of that as a possibility. And I was amazed because it seemed so obvious from my viewpoint. And so I challenged her to think about that and consider that. And what I did afterwards, and I got her permission for this, this is an example of a meetup, is she wanted to remain anonymous. So I phrased her question. I said, I'm going to share this in, the, in our club anonymously, and I'm going to hold a meetup because I'm sure a lot of people have gone to Europe. And so I held a meetup. I posed the question anonymously, and we spent an hour brainstorming resources, places to go, things to see, travel tips, and people just poured on a, a ton of encouragement. And then we just we, we collated all of the, the tips that the the club created and we created a PDF on a travel guide to Europe. And so oh, she wow. ended up, I forget when this was, this would probably say November and then April, I want to say it's either 18 or 19. She's sending me photos and posting photos of her in London and other, other places in Europe and just beyond, beyond, beyond herself for doing this. To me, that's the point of the club. Yeah, that's, that's, phenomenal. I love to hear that. It's amazing. And think about this, Wes. And now that we've gone through COVID and God willing, not going back in through COVID, she went before all COVID. 
Yeah, Imagine got, if COVID had happened, yeah. she had not gone. And then maybe she's like, well, I'm never going to feel safe going there. Or if she had gone, she, it will never be the same Europe. That's a really amazing outcome. Uh, well, let's see. What do I have time for one? Let's do one more quick question. Uh, you'd mentioned mountain biking. Give me your one or two of your favorite, we call them hobbies on steroids. Um, adventure in general. If I don't have something adventurous in my life, I'm not who I'm supposed to be. Mountain biking is definitely one of them. The podcast is definitely one of them. I would be, I would, I feel it has to be more about adventure and learning than one specific activity. Because what happens if I can never mountain bike again? I might, I'm, that would kill me. So I, I want to be able to express my adventurous spirit in different ways. That's awesome. Where do you, by the way, where do you go when you go to Colorado? Where do you, where do you, is it the same spot? We go to a town called Salida, which is Mm, two and a half hours southwest of Denver in the, um, Right, the headwaters of the Arkansas River. It's my favorite place in the world. Is it? I guess is it mountains and then the river below the mountains? What's it like? Yeah, there's uh, the collegiate peaks are there. So there's I forget how many fourteeners around it. So I can be an hour from a ski resort. I don't ski, but an hour from you know fourteen thousand feet, and then at the river, there's mountain biking, there's hiking. It's called the Banana Belt, so the the winters are very moderate, which is interesting. In fact, we just bought a lot there because we've been going for a number of years and we got back in June and the housing prices were crazy. So we bought some land that we're going to build here in the next year or two. Sounds like uh, some financial planning that I'm sure you've done. <laughs> yes. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Roger, thank you so much. It's, it's, it, I feel like we share so many of the, the same thoughts on a, a lot of really topics that can really have a very – a very, very, maybe not polarizing opinions, but a really wide range. And I think, I feel like you and I really are, are in sync with a lot of the way we think about the kind of the human elements and how they interact with the financial planning elements to make sure that people live this fulfilling, adventurous, to your point, uh, life. I think of it as this happy retiree, but I I think we think of a lot about these things uh, in a similar way. So thank you. And, and I love your stories today, too. I think I know our audience got some, some new things that we've never talked about before. And I know it's a good podcast if I learned something, because I think this through. I, I was thinking about what we learned about the, the power of not just the financial side of the retirement gray zone, but the, the soft landing, if you will, uh, mentally, that the retirement gray zone gets you. As I, I love that. So thank you for bringing that to the surface. You bet. I think uh, we're both just trying to help people create a great life. And I can't wait for your book. When's that going to be done? It's done, mostly. It takes forever to get these things out and about. But yeah, I think actually you have a galley this week, and then it'll be out in the in October. October. So it's coming soon. It's called What the Happiest Retirees Know. Well, we'll have you soon. in the club to uh, host a meetup, and you can uh, chat with uh, members and oh, I love show it. them what you okay. found. Would love it. Thank you, man. All right, Roger. Take care. Thank you so much. Bye, everybody. Be well, Wes. Hey, y'all. This is Mallory with the Retire Sooner team. Please be sure to rate and subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend. If you have any questions, you can find us at westmoss.com. That's W-E-S-M-O-S-S.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and YouTube. You'll find us under the handle Retire Sooner Podcast. And now for our show's disclosure. 
This podcast is provided to you as a resource for informational purposes only and is not to be viewed as investment advice or recommendations. This information is being presented without consideration of the investment objectives, risk tolerance, or financial circumstances of any specific investor and might not be suitable for all investors. It is not intended to and should not form a primary basis for any investment decision that you may make. Always consult your own legal, tax, or investment advisor before making any investment or financial planning considerations. Please refer to the full disclosure in the podcast description for any additional information information.